Let us pray. Our great God and our sovereign Lord, it is in anticipation of spiritual revival that we present ourselves before our Creator. We pray, therefore, O God, as we open the infallible word of life and truth, thy spirit may touch every heart. Amen. Let us turn to the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity." And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. It was several months ago that I was in correspondence with a dear young brother. And he had a concern that he shared with me, and he said, you know, I believe that we have come to a crossroads in our life as a church. He said, I believe what we really need is a spiritual revival. And when I heard the theme, I was thrilled, because I agree with him. And I believe that we have come to a point in our lives where we need 
a spiritual revival. And as I look at this portion of Scripture, I have to think about a man who was a man of God and think about where he was, who he was, where he had gone, and where he could have gone. In alluding to this chapter, I believe the Lord would, would grant that I make a few comparisons. And I desire to do that this evening. Because we can see what had happened to a man of God, a man who had wrote, written the most beautiful psalms and songs, hymns of worship. And you wonder... How could this happen? How could one of God, who had walked with God and communed with Him, have gone so far? And as you look at the calamity that had taken place as a result of His choice and His decision, we can see that it had far-reaching implications, greater far than I believe He Himself ever could imagine. And I believe the Lord would have us speak about spiritual scars this evening. Because we can see the results that had occurred long after sin had been committed. Does God forgive? Yes, He does. We know He does. But as a result of this action and this sordid deed, there were scars in the family of a godly man. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm called to the emergency room to take care of a trauma, either from an automobile accident or something similar. And, and usually the, the emergency physician, he says to me, I, I've got a good case for you. And when he says that, I know I'm in trouble because what a good case means is that you better just kiss your family goodnight for the evening because you're going to be here a while. And there are times when I, I walk in and, and I approach a patient and I, I see for the first time what had happened, I think, how in the world am I going to put this back together again? And of course I don't say that out loud in front of them. They trust me. But based upon my previous skills and experiences, things come out looking pretty good. But you know what? Not one person has ever asked me can you fix it? Will I look the same as before? You know, the one thing that I am asked, and it is one thing consistently, and the one thing that I am asked is, will there be a scar? And I have to tell them, I said, well, yes, there will be a scar. And some of you can attest to the fact that something may have happened in the past, and, and you can see the scars as a result. And I tell them, and I try to encourage them that hopefully things will heal. And it'll come to a point where it will fade and not be as noticeable. But there will always be a scar. Of course, they don't like to hear that. But you see, it reverts back to the original incident that had happened. You see, number one, scars are permanent. I don't believe that David at all knew what was happening or knew what was going to happen 
as far as the disasters that had been prophesied because of his sin. Scars are permanent. And some of you may have, have things that you have done, perhaps in secret, and you think that no one will know about it. But you see, that's exactly what he thought. Until a man of God came to him. And I wonder how many of us harbor secret things in our lives. I believe that as, as the man of God, Nathan, approached David, David may have wondered, what in the world is he coming to me for now? See, because up to this time, things have gone very smoothly in his life. And so Nathan presents a, a parable, if you will, of something that had happened, and he brings it to the king. And as he tells the story... David says this, he says, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Did David know what God's word was? Yes, he did. Did he know God's law? Yes, he did. Because if you turn to Exodus chapter 22... Verse 1, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. You see, David knew that he had to restore fourfold. But he, what he added was something else. In his righteous indignation, he said, the man shall also die. That was not part of the law. Was David's family scarred? Were the scars permanent? The Bible says, as Nathan presents the story, he says, this is what's going to happen because of your sin. The sword shall not depart from your family. Did that happen? This child died. Absalom died. Amnon died. Adonijah died. Four sons of David died, restored fourfold. God's word will come to pass. You see, loved ones, scars are permanent. And it was because he stepped out of the bounds that God had set for him. God had set a boundary and he crossed the line. And we wonder, how many times do we think of crossing that line, that fence of protection that God has ordained, and said, don't step out of bounds. That is what sin means, hamartia, missing the mark. We missed it, we stepped out of the line. And I, 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 see, I see a dear brother here, and I, I remember something that he had mentioned long ago, and I believe it would be fine and, and, and okay if, if I repeated that. Because I believe it, it gives the, 
The implication of stepping out of bounds, as David did, and the protection that God has given to us. And, and he said that as a young man, he hated it. He hated being protected as his mother and father prayed for him and brought him to church and taught him the things of God and how he wanted to cross that line. But I thank God for those boundaries, loved ones, I do. And I pray the same thing for my children, that God would protect them. I, I think of my dear grandmother who has gone to be with the Lord, and she said in the Serbian language, Javanus Baba, the devil never sleeps. And it matters not to him how he takes down God's children. It matters only that he does. And oftentimes it is because we step across the bounds that God has given to us. And then we wonder why we have scars in our lives. Why we have to deal with things that we never have had to deal with. If we remain in the line of God's boundaries. You know, I think of the French philosopher Rousseau who said man is essentially good. Restrictions make him bad. Well, you know what? That's what the world would have you believe. As the social mores and, and uh, uh, the, the debauchery abounds and, and sin is substituted for perhaps an emotional problem or a physical handicap, Rousseau was wrong. You see, man is not essentially good. Restrictions don't make him bad. Man is essentially bad, and restrictions make him tolerable. And Nathan comes to David, and he says something to him that I believe is one of the the most profound portions of Scripture. He says something that I believe could be heard echoing down the halls of the palace and something that shook him to the marrow of his bones when Nathan the prophet put his finger in Nathan's face and said, Thou art the man. And I pray that this week, should God grant, we don't do the same thing to others. Because it's so easy to say, boy, I wish so-and-so could hear that. I wish they could be here for that lesson. I wish they could have heard that portion of Scripture. But I pray that each one of us would say, I am the one. I am the one today that God is speaking to. I am the man. I am the woman that God is talking to today. It isn't for somebody else. I think of Jonah. Remember how, how the ship was being tossed? And they drew lots. And he had to admit, he said, I am the man. And I think of Jacob. Jacob of old who wrestled. Who wrestled with a man. And he said, bless me. And the man asked him his name. And finally he had to admit, he said, I am Jacob. He had to admit who he was 
Because before he was Jacob, the liar. Now he is Jacob, a changed man of God. And I believe unless we really understand it and admit before God Almighty who we really are, we shall not have spiritual revival in our lives. Treatment of scars is painful. You see, it hurts. And oftentimes, I have to tell the patient, I say, you know what? There are ways we can treat this. But because of the way you have neglected to take care of things, it's going to be a long road, a long process. You see, number one, we can possibly inject it with strong medication, and it burns. We may be able to treat it with lasers, and it hurts. Or more radically, I may have to reoperate, and it hurts. And every one of them says, is there some other way? Is there some other method? I say, no, there isn't. That's it. That's the choice. You see, the scars, treatment of the scars, they're painful. And David knew that, and he fully understood. After Nathan pointed his finger and said, thou art the man, what did David do? He said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Dear elder brother, when I, when I, was being, when I had been given my testimony, he asked me a question that evening. He said, was it easy for you? I said, no, it wasn't. It wasn't easy at all. It was painful. Because Satan didn't want me to make any progress. I think of a, a beautiful psalm. Psalm 32. And this is what David said. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin." Think of a beautiful verse in 1 John 1, 9. This says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the present tense subjunctive. It is an ongoing action. We do not just confess once and forget about it. It is the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. That is what the Lord is saying. And I wonder if we really, truly examine ourselves daily before God. And if we have come to the point where we see we are lacking, if we have lost our first love, let's revive that. I think of a hymn, we'll work, we'll work till Jesus comes. If we have not been working for the Lord, let's revive that. If we may have made promises to God 
and haven't kept them. Let's revive that. First Corinthians 10.12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Loved ones, we can't stop with just that verse. Because the very next one, 1 Corinthians 10.13, says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. I believe one of the greatest tests of spiritual integrity is when we are alone. Because then it is, the real test comes with the things that we watch or listen to or read or think. When we think no one else is there. And that's what happened to David. Nathan said otherwise, that sin will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Scars are permanent. Treatment is painful. I, I, I think of a, a time when I was an intern and, and I had worked about between 80 and 100 hours a week. I don't even remember now because it was somewhat of a blur. But I remember being able to go home a little earlier that Friday evening. And as I was waiting for the physician to meet me, I happened to see an emaciated-looking young man of about 34 walking down the hall. And as the physician arrived and we started looking through the patient's charts, I could see that that was one patient that was going to be mine. We went to his room after we had looked at his, his chart and started talking to him. And it was apparent that he was dying from the virus that causes AIDS because of his illicit lifestyle. And as we walked out of the room and was with, out of earshot of this young man, the doctor turned to me and he said, I give him between 24 and 48 hours to live. Well, I was anxious to get out of there that evening. And so I ran down the four flights of stairs and put my hands on the double doors to go out and meet my wife for dinner. And the spirit stopped me and said, you go back and talk to that young man. I thought, oh, I really want to get out of here because once I turn back inside, I know what can happen. I'll never get out of there. But I did. I, I, I went back. And you know, he was, he was stunned to see me again. He, he wondered what I was doing there. And as we spoke, I, I helped him to understand and to, to really see and realize if he understood the, grave, the gravity of his situation. And, and apparently he did. And then I proceeded to tell him about the only thing that could save him at this point, Jesus Christ. You know what he said to me? He said, I don't believe in fairy tales. And I had to tell him that there was nothing else on earth that he was able to believe in up to that point in time. And it was apparent he wasn't willing to listen anymore, and so I left. Monday morning, I walked past his room 
which was empty. And I spoke to the nurse that had been taking care of him, and she said, oh, you know, he died about 24 hours after you left. God gave him 24 hours to determine his eternal destiny. Scars that were permanent. Where do we go from here? How do we treat them? You go to the physician. And I'm amazed at the people that, that say, you know, it, it, it just hasn't healed like it should have been. And it's because they haven't gone to the physician as they were instructed. And I believe that if there are things in our lives that aren't going as they ought to go and our spiritual lives become a shambles, it's because we don't go to the physician. I think of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It is conditional. Matthew 9, 12, Jesus says, Those who are sick are the ones that need a physician. Have we gone to the physician in prayer? Psalm 51 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then... An important word, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And I wonder if, because we don't have revivals in our churches, if we don't see progress being made, is it because we have lost the joy of God's salvation and we have forgotten who we really are? I think of George Bernard Shaw who won the the Pulitzer Prize in 1925. And I think of an a, a interview that he had with a reporter who said, if you could have been any person in history, who would you have been? And he said, I would have been the person George Bernard Shaw should have been but never was. And I pray that one day we don't lie on our deathbed and think that there was someone better that we could have been and never was. If you remember nothing else about the message this evening, the fact that scars are permanent, they're painful, and you need the physician, I just pray you remember this, that Jesus Christ hung on a cross with his side, his feet, his hands pierced. You see, Jesus bore the scars so you don't have to.